Hello, everyone, and welcome to Esoterica. I'm Leah Eichler, and I am back with Susan Cato, our editor-in-chief at Hello. Esoterica Magazine. Hello, Sue. So good to see you again. It's great to be here again. Very so, exciting. You know, we have, we're going to start off, I think, with some, um, some, I guess, fan mail, if we want to call it that. Let's be nice to ourselves and call it fan mail. We got yes. some fan mail from our last podcast um, yes. about um, F-boys and classic literature. And for those of you that missed last week's podcast on our website, uh, on esotericamag.com, you can read Susan's um, brilliant um, piece on Jane Austen's F-boys. Can we say fuckboys on? I don't know. Let's just say fuckboys because that's what they are. Oops. Okay. Maybe F-boys. Let's go. Let's stick with that. Let's keep it PG-13. Uh, so Sue uh, wrote this great piece about F-Boys in uh, Jane Austen's work. And last week we discussed F-Boys in the classics. And we had some feedback. Uh, our uh, writer uh, didn't know. Uh, she confessed that she'd never heard of an F-Boy and thought the TV show sounded very ew, which is true. I've never it is, heard it is, of F-Boy Island. It's not my thing. But she said that our conversation raised a lot of really good questions and wondered if male writers do a better job of depicting and creating believable and lovable bad boys. Okay, very thought-provoking question. It and is, especially the lovable. I mean, maybe they yeah. do a better job of creating lovable ones. Well, it's interesting because um, I think we even uh, touched on this a bit last week when we spoke about the world according to Garp, that sometimes there are men or male characters that, you know, may be presented as bad boys or not as bad boys, but sometimes they are not exactly bad boys or not necessarily uh, anti-fem, maybe they are anti-feminist, but there's also something tragically flawed about them. I mean, I think of Mordecai Richler's male characters. I mean, would they be considered uh, anti-feminist? Probably, but there is also something very flawed about most of them and they are rooted in a certain time and place, right? There's a lot of books that I read when I was like full of rage university student that I really <laughs> should go back and reread yeah. because at the time I would I would, like I'm thinking of like Updike's Rabbit Run and I was so right. irate about you know the the main character in that I need to go back and reread it with the person with a middle aged person's perspective and see how much was was just humanity as opposed to sexism. Right. And I mean, the, so the reader go, the writer goes on about women writers and do they really know bad boys and what motivates them? Or are they just know their reactions to them, which is I thought also very interesting, mm -hmm. um, you know, from a female writer perspective. I mean, I never like to say that men can't write about women. Women can write about men. I think they can both write about or either, mm -hmm. you know, really. Um, but what do you, what do you think, Sue? Well, I mean, in, in my, um, article on um, the F-Boys of Jane Austen, I do think that there is a lot about the reaction to them in, in Jane Austen's work. And the right. reaction is like kind of a knowing, like even once they recognize that this person is a jerk, an F-Boy, yeah. um, the, the appeal remains. They, 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 they have a distance from it, but they're like, you know, I still kind of want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, or I want to think the best of him. Um, so it is very much their reaction to them that is, you know, going on. I, I yeah. think that, yeah, you know, they do create, the writer said, do they create complex male characters or rather superficial archetypes or cartoons? I mean, I think that that comes down to a great writer will create complex characters. Right. Um, male or female. 
I, I, I totally agree. I, well, it was interesting because she wrote, she asked about dull, inattentive husbands, um, you know, and a lot of, um, in Anna Karenina, Madame Bovary, Middlemark. Like, it's, it's interesting because we don't, uh, no one, I mean, I, I don't know a lot of writers myself who want to sit down and write about very boring husbands, but I mean, there are plenty of them in literature. We should um, do a whole, uh, a whole show on that, the boring husband. Yeah, what makes a boring husband? I don't know. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting part about her discussion is, you know, that the whole idea, which is so controversial nowadays uh, about who's allowed to write about whom um, and who gets those options. And, uh, and of course, um, you know, there can be, uh, you know, there's a variety of opinions, but there's something that you and I both came across on Twitter this week, which really was a little bizarre, where um, a, a writer who says she's a writer of a New York Times bestselling um, book, I have read the book, and I won't, I won't name names, uh, but she said that Joyce Carol Oates was not hot enough to write about Marilyn Monroe, and a yes. non-hottie cannot write about Marilyn Monroe, and I initially thought this was a joke, because I thought this was a play on, um, you know, the, you know, popular uh, culture right now. But uh, she seemed quite serious about it. And actually, in her tweet, seemed to double down on it later on. So, um, uh, I mean, well, what do you what do you say to that, really? I also kind of thought it was a joke. What could a literary non-haughty know about the exploitation of femme, highly sexualized women? Although even that language made me go, maybe it's not a joke right, um, right women who look and act like oats have no compassion or love for women like Marilyn. they're just as bad as men and writing them and i just i i thought i it's kind of an outrageous thing to say um right but i the of course as you might imagine the phrase literary non-haughty immediately caught on and it's been memed all over the internet and um people are proudly proclaiming themselves to be literary non-haughty but, you know, again, it's, it's interesting uh, because it also comes down to, you know, this very anti-feminist perspective of, you know, what makes a hottie? I mean, mm. <laughs> let's go back to the male gaze, how men perceive women. You know, I mean, if, in my perspective, like being a, a, a literary person is pretty hot to begin with because, you know, who wouldn't want to talk about literature all the time? Um, but, you know, we all have different things to look for in, in uh, people and friends and partners. But, um, you know, it's, did you, did you see Marilyn? Did you watch the, the film? I read a lot about it and kind yeah. of elected not to watch it because of what I was reading, but I, and also, you know, I know you watched it um, or tried to watch it. So I tried to watch, uh, I, I tried to watch Blonde uh, and I really wanted to like it. I, you know, I really wanted to kind of uh, embrace my, uh, like university uh, self that was really into art films and really, uh, you know, really edgy uh, Lars von Trier's type films that would kind of, you know, take you in a different transport, in a different time place. But it was, um, I got about halfway through, it was, I think, uh, largely unwatchable. Um, mm -hmm. It was very out there. It was a little challenging to follow, almost like a stream of consciousness type of film. Um, but um, but it's interesting because also the film has been very controversial. Yeah. And the connection there is, it, of course, it's based on Joyce Carol Oates's book, Blind. Right. Um, and people felt that the initial criticism was that the director must be a terrible misogynist because he keeps putting Marilyn in these really awful um, exploitative positions. And it was definitely seen as exploiting her as opposed to critiquing exploitation, which was probably more what he was aiming for. I right. give the benefit of the doubt who's aiming to, you know, who's, 
Uh, certainly what Joyce Carol Oates seemed to be saying. Well, she Joyce Carol seems to be defending the film, which is, I, I think, uh, completely fine in it, that she defends it. Um, and, but it's interesting. Joyce Carol has kept referring to something as uh, uh, the film being a, a post-Me Too film. So mm. I'm not even sure if we are in this post-Me Too era, what that means and, and how we're allowed to interpret it. I mean, um, but it was a, an interesting way to look at the film. Wow. I'm going to have to think about. Yeah, I know. Post me too, right? I mean, so um, again, I think the controversy that everyone likes to discuss in terms of uh, the film Blind is that the CGI uh, creation of the fetus, uh, the purported abortion that Marilyn had. And uh, did she, uh, you know, what does it say? And does that feed into the whole like um, narrative of, you know, the anti-abortion rights people? Um, so, you know, it's it's interesting. So is this um, is it me too to to talk about abortions in that way and to show um, I don't know, to show maybe some mixed feelings about it? What, what do you think? Um I mean, I do think we're in a fairly doctrinaire age. I, I think I would read the Me Too part of it as saying here, um, and I say this ha not having read the book or watched the movie. Right, right. The <laughs> Me Too angle might be um, a woman who chose to use her sexuality to appeal to men. And that goes, interestingly, Right. So it's nicely with this person who tweeted about a literary non-haughty, not understanding why someone might use their sexuality. But I'm, I'm, I, as I say, I, I haven't seen it. Um, but post me too might be saying, well, um, Marilyn was aware of what she was doing and what she was getting from men because she had this sexual power over them. Right. And so she had volition. Um, so I, you know, yes. it's interesting, and, and I, I say this as someone who's um, ardently and and extremely um, uh, pro-abortion rights. Um, but you know, what's interesting about it is if you think at the meta levels of the book uh, or the film, rather, I mean, even in the film, um, there's a distinction that the protagonist makes between. Norma Jean and Marilyn. And I'm imagining that could be someone accurate. I know mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe was the character that she created. It wasn't necessarily her. It was an mm -hmm. image that was fabricated by Hollywood, you know, people. Um, and, you know, so this is kind of a, a character, imagining a character and then a character about that, because of course the, the film is not true to Marilyn Monroe's life necessarily. There's no um, proof that she ever had an abortion. Uh, from, you know, the cursor research that I've done, you know, she may have had several miscarriages, she may have wanted to start a family. But, you know, if you take it, like, what kind of characters, I mean, characters have different motivations, and characters have uh, different uh, perspectives. And if this, this uh, Marilyn Monroe character, that wasn't even Marilyn Monroe created by Norma Jean, but Marilyn Monroe created by um, the filmmaker and by an author, she could very well have been torn by her abortion and, and had mixed feelings about it. So, I mean, it's interesting, um, you know, if you look at it from um, a fever dream that this character may have had versus, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. let's try and um, make it something more actual, right? It's interesting. I've, I have read um, some fiction based on real people's lives. Um, you know, Curtis Sittenfeld wrote um, a couple of books. She 
wrote one from the perspective of um, of um, Laura Bush. Right. Um, did she also write the one from the perspective of Hillary Clinton? Oh, right. That's right. I'm now just ringing bell. Yes. Um, and 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 they're really interesting to read, but I always am like, don't you maybe want to like? <laughs> it's it's a little more obviously fictionalized when people like that are doing it, and you know, props for the courage of writing right. a novelization of a real live living yeah. person. It's, right, um, that is very challenging. So, um, you know, we we neglected to mention this last week and we our, our plate was full, but uh, the last week of September is always a banned book week. So hooray for banned books. We love hooray them. for banned books, everyone. Yeah, we yes. love banned books. So, I mean, so I, I let's let's discuss banned books. And banned books are, are fascinating because, I mean, they make it all the more appealing. Like if you're a teenager, don't you want to read band books? Like that's I definitely want to read band books. Um, and I want to know like what I've obviously things have become so politicized. They always have been banned books, right. but um, they've become so politicized in the United States in particular. Right. Um, but when you look at the list and I was looking at specifically the reader's digest list, um, it, yeah. it points out, we don't really have a final list for 2022 yet, but it's looking at, um, banned books from 2021, mm -hmm. um, and the, the 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 top ten most banned books. I ah, I feel like I've seen like fifty percent of those books in my teenage daughter's hands because she is seeking them out. And these are books like The Hate You Give by right. Angie Thomas, um, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Um, I wish you were here. I would ask her like, what's what's the deal that these books are. Band. but like in some cases they're on the curriculum of a Toronto school so true and I think you know I mean isn't I mean you know in my perspective I mean good literature is supposed to be controversial it's supposed to make you think it's supposed to give you pause right um the first so, band book I read about I heard about when I was younger was Bridge to Terabithia which is a childhood classic Right, right. It took me a while to figure out. I was like, is it banned because it's so sad and they don't want to make people... So why is it banned? I mean, we should actually make... It's is there banned a... because the um, the girl, the main female character's parents are atheists. So when oh, the unthinkable happens, they don't subscribe to a it's okay, she's in heaven now um, okay. story. So that's why. Oh, well, okay, let's go through some of our favorite band books because, uh, you know, let's go, let's, let's mm -hmm. give a shout out to band books and maybe, um, maybe our, um, our audience will go to buy some band books because hooray for band yes. books. So uh, I actually re recently reread 1984 only because, um, I needed to remind myself that, you know, this dystopian view of the world has always been around, but, uh, mm -hmm. 1984 is one of my favorite books that have ever been banned, um, um there's obviously um the handmaid's tale which is i feel like we've been talking about the handmaid's tale for years and years and years now um mm -hmm. i'm almost a little tired of talking about it but um still a great book um and then uh and then mouse um yeah mouse was on that which of course i know why mouse was banned um and I mean, now there was, there was a controversy recently, I think uh, it was U.S. school board, I can't remember which one, um, banned mouse because, of course, it's uh, depiction, I mean, it's language, it uses foul language. Um, there's a very obviously vivid um, episode in which uh, Art Spiegelman shows his mother's suicide. I mean, um, did, you did you read Mouse? 
I have. It's been a while, but yes. Yeah. And I mean, I mean yeah. it's just considered a classic, didn't it? Win the Pulitzer Prize. Like it's, it's, it did. Yeah. And I mean, it is, and it is a classic. Uh, and in fact, I actually got my kids to read it at a very, very probably inappropriate young age. Um, only because I think it's, it is a very, uh, you know, uh, you know, as a child of, of Holocaust survivors, a great child of the Holocaust survivors, it, it, you can't really, um, you can't really mince words about how tragic yeah. things were. Um, and, you know, there's got to be some way for them to learn. It's not taught that much in school. So, and I suppose no. if mass has been banned, then it's not going to be taught very much at all. Well, Diary of Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank is also on the, it's number five on the most um, banned band. list. Yeah. And so, and that's interesting. I sort of while since I read the diary of Anne Frank. Um, let me see what talk of. So they say that it is because um, the 14 year olds plain descriptions of her anatomy have been found pornographic. Right. Cause she talks about getting her period, I think in the believe and of course her budding sexuality. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I forgot sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could sit here and just say shake our heads about it, but I mean, do yeah. what? What are some other notable banned books that you? Uh, Toni Morrison's books are routinely being banned. Uh, the Bluest sure. Eye is one of the most banned. Yeah. The reason, I mean, her books are they they do have graphic descriptions and right. quote unquote offensive language, but I mean, again, a bit like you were talking about, there are events in history that are offensive. Um, well, the events themselves are offensive and to try and, you know, um, make them, uh, I mean, try to try and clean them up is actually offensive. I mean, you can't really, um, you can't really clean them up to make them to the point where they're actually, uh, you know, okay to explain to a young child. So, I mean, this is just the way it is, correct? I mean, it's, it's, exactly. it's fascinating. Um, fascinating. Uh, Lolita, what are your thoughts on Lolita? This is going to be a tough one. Lolita is a tough one. Um, it's such a fantastic book. I just it really I, I is. literarily like the literary tricks that go on in that book. It's one yeah. of those books that the more you study it, the more you see in every line. And I think you'd have to be crazy to walk away from it saying this is a book that endorses, you know, Humbert Humbert's behavior. Right. Um, but I think, you know, these books aren't banned because they endorse the behavior. They're they're banned because they portray the behavior in the first place. Right. And it may not be pleasant, but as we all know, these are things that happen. In the right. World. Interesting. I mean, so let's go back to that first kind of observation. Who's allowed to write about what? Do you think a book like Lolita could have been published today? No, I do not think a book like Lolita could have been published today. Right. Um, I really don't. Hmm for obvious kind of reasons, um, the subject matter would just be deemed, you know, it reminds me when the novel started as a form right. in yeah. the early 18th century, women writers were, women novelists were very rare on the ground because it was assumed that whatever they wrote represented their true beliefs. So they could not have a, a female character who was any kind of combo of virtue and vice because then that would mean that they had that vice in them. They couldn't really depict male vice either because it meant they knew, they and knew about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolute conflation. You have these books by these 
great, interesting women whose letters are fantastic. And then they'll write a book. Sarah Fielding comes to mind, Henry Fielding's sister. They'll write a book where the heroine is just a golden angel of virtue. Um, And that was the only thing that was acceptable. So we're now in a sewer now. It's like a little bit like that now. Yeah. Did you write anything that's that where the subject matter is um, controversial because maybe you're endorsing that controversial point of view. Hmm. So it's actually really, it's a really good point. And uh, maybe worth going back and rereading Lolita again for just for that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. So um, ne- this week is, well, we, we actually have Canadian Thanksgiving this week. Um, yes. I, you know, we so won't talk about that. Some good reading. Yeah, it's time to do some good reading. For me, it's always been kind of a few days off. I mean, I've never been a huge um, observer of the holiday. I mean, you, you know, you grew up in the, in the U.S. I mean, did you celebrate Thanksgiving more um, from here? I, I love all Thanksgivings. I see it yeah. as a chance to do some extra reading. And okay. my suggestion is it, uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is kind of coinciding with the Booker Prize shortlist for right. 2022. Uh-huh. Which has just come out. So... Um, if you ever wondered what to read this week, you can check out the Booker Prize shortlist. One of the things that I think is so interesting about this shortlist is, A, there's no Canadians on the shortlist, which is a bummer. Um, but two, um, the it has the shortest book ever nominated, 116 pages, Claire Keegan's historical novel, Small Things Like These. Interesting. And, yeah, 116 pages. And it's actually very unusual for books to be that short. I know. Yeah. I saw that they did have one nominated before um, on Chesil Beach by Ian McEwen, who's one of my favorite writers. Right. Um, and when I think of that book, I don't think, oh, what a short book. But it's, it right. was only, it was under 150 pages, apparently. So Really? Um, Interesting. But it okay. had a lot of meat. So yeah, yeah. Obviously, that doesn't matter. The other thing I found interesting about this shortlist was um, Alan Garner, Treacle Walker. Um, his book, I think Al- Alan Garner is 88 years old. So that makes him. Wow. Okay. Like a lot of us writers. (laughs) Yeah. The oldest person on uh, ever to be nominated for a Booker award. Now it's not his first book. He didn't like kind of come out of the blue at 88 and write a novel, but um, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you know, you can still win, maybe you can still win a Booker when you turn 80, 90. So I guess there's, you know, um, something to aspire to. Right. So we have no excuse. No one has any <laughs> the only um, author I've actually read on the list is um, Elizabeth Strout, whose mm-hmm. book, Oh, William, has been nominated. And it's um, it follows, she has recurring characters in her books. In this case, uh, Lucy Barton mm-hmm. um, uh, is the heroine of this one. And, uh, you know, she, she's just a, a, a really great writer whose books are kind of deceptively easy to read compared right. to what I sometimes think of... Um, you know, some of the other books. I, I, I really think I will, after looking at this list, go and check them out. There are, there's, um, there's a book called Glory set in Zimbabwe. There is a book called The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida set uh, in Sri Lanka. It's, it's, it's a very interesting list. That sounds like, no, it sounds great. So I guess we have, uh, we can add, I, I can't show you right now off screen, but I have like a list of, I have a pile of books about this high uh, that I've been trying to get to. And I guess I could add a few more um, as, uh, as the Booker Prize uh, comes out. Yep. So uh, before we wrap up, a couple of uh, little housekeeping notes. Our, our short story contest is still open uh, for your submissions. So please send us your short stories. Uh, Susan and I, 
Uh, we'll be the judges. Um, we really love reading your short stories. Um, Sue, anything you want to talk about in, in terms of what we're looking for? So people are always asking. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's really open to um, every type of short story right. that uh, it should be something obviously that you feel passionately about bringing into the world. And, uh, and yeah, just, um, you know, go ahead and submit it. Any guidelines you can find at, at uh, esotericmag.com. Yeah, and I think last week we discussed a little bit about what makes a great short story. Yeah. Uh, but mm. I mean, you know, the great thing about literature is it's open to interpretation and we want to see what yours is. So, you know, send it. Um, we have like a sweet spot, you know, I, ideally, uh, you know, um, like not over like uh, many, many thousands of words. I think, you know, the three to five is usually kind of like um, a good spot. Um, but of course, if it's longer, send it. Or if it's shorter, definitely send it. Um, always great to have like a beginning, middle and end. I know I joke about that. It seems very ABC, but uh, a lot of people don't include that. And, um, and I find it very satisfying to have an ending. Um, even if I do love it. an ending. <laughs> people don't seem to like endings and short stories lately. Um, and, um, yeah, so please send us your short story. If you have any comments about this podcast or if you have ideas for topics or if you want to appear on um, an episode of The Interview, then please do email us at editor at esotericamag.com or follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any social media outlet you can think of and let us know. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. Take care, everybody. Until next week. <laughs>